the Bible, a collection of 66 different books by around 40 different authors from many different backgrounds. There were kings and shepherds, soldiers, fishermen, doctors, poets and farmers. Some were young, some old, some rich, and some poor. And they wrote, each reflecting his own personality and style. From a wide variety of life circumstances. All the way from palace thrones and bedrooms. To the dungeons down in the palace basement. From seashores to mountaintops. And to the backsides of dry desert wastelands. In their books, the writers issued hundreds of specific future prophecies, all perfectly fulfilled or awaiting fulfillment. And they discuss every aspect of human life, hundreds of complicated and controversial topics. And yet, there is a unity and consistency of message in the Bible, from start to finish, that is nothing short of miraculous. Throughout history and today, millions of people around the globe call this book the Holy Bible, the very Word of God. It claims to be a self-revelation of the Supreme Being, the Creator Himself, stepping out of eternity into time and space to tell us and show us what He is like and to let us know His plan for our lives here on earth and in the hereafter. The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar is your chance to actually hear, discuss, and decide for yourself about this book, the Bible. Stay tuned, and at the very least, you'll hear the beauty, wisdom, romance, adventure, and intrigue of the world's greatest literature, the best-selling, most translated book of all history. But more importantly, God himself just might speak to your heart and change your life forever. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Sophie Dollar. All right. Good evening, everyone. We come back now to the book of Leviticus. That's where we have been these particular days. We'll finish up Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus in just a few more days. And then we will return to the New Testament and pick up there with the Gospel of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. And just in time for Christmas, we'll be reading about the birth of Jesus the Messiah. Well, if we've been making our way through the book of Leviticus, I've been trying to emphasize the general overall theme of this book, It can be forgotten when we get into all these details about the construction of the tabernacle or all of the different laws and commands. The theme of the book of Leviticus is holiness and worship. God is set apart, unique, one of a kind, no other God beside him. The people of Israel are learning this. They've come out of Egypt where there was polytheism, many different gods that they imagined and worshipped. And yet they are being told there is only one true God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. Worship me alone. Holiness, in our popular meaning, we have the idea of moral perfection, purity, moral, ethical purity. And that is a part of it. But he is set apart in every way. And, of course, one of the great verses of the book of Leviticus is that because I am holy, you will be holy. God is making us to be a holy people set apart as well for his purposes and for their relationship with him. There are moral laws, the Ten Commandments, and in other of these laws that expand on the Ten Commandments. You have the ritualistic or worship laws about clean and unclean for worship. You have the dietary laws and the health and safety rules and regulations. All of these are part of God's plan to set the people of God apart. We'll talk a little bit more about it before we get into our reading tonight from Leviticus. Right now, though, we go to one of the most recognized psalms in all of the Bible, the famous and beautiful Psalm 23, 
the shepherd's psalm that comes to us out of David's experience because he had spent his early years caring for sheep, if you remember his early stories. So tonight, let's enjoy together this beautiful Psalm 23. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to His name. Even when I walk through the dark valley of death, I will not be afraid, for You are close beside me. Your rod and Your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You welcome me as a guest, anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. End of reading, Psalm 23. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. And that is our prayer each and every evening as we come to you here on this great station, asking the Lord to speak to our hearts through His Word, praying and trusting that you as well as I, as we listen to the Scriptures together, that the Holy Spirit will spark ideas and thoughts in our minds, maybe even questions, that we will go to the Lord with those and that He will bring us answers. I don't know how each passage will touch your life. Sometimes there's a clear teaching that we need to be reminded of, but you also come with your own life, your own challenges, and maybe there's something that you read that just brings that word of encouragement, that word of clarity that you need for a particular decision in your life, for a particular relationship. One thing I wanted to mention about Psalm 23, the whole psalm is so beautiful, but I like the way it deals with the ultimate enemy. Death casts a frightening shadow over us uh, because we are entirely hapless and helpless in its presence. I have good friends who have lost a mate. Others are suffering loss and loneliness that this season of the year, this will be the first Christmas of our dear friend Shirley without her husband. I pray for them, and I've written a card with a prayer for them, giving strength over the great enemy of death. Pain, suffering, disease, injury, we can have courage and we can have strength and we can battle against these, but we cannot overcome death. Only one person can walk with us through death's dark valley, and that is Jesus, who will bring us safely to the other side. He is indeed the good shepherd. Well, let's go now to the book of Leviticus. We're going to learn a lesson tonight about the relationship between faith and obedience. Our obedience to God is not the answer. Aaron and his children did everything that God had told them to do. So they were obedient. But it may have been obedience without the attitude of faith and trust. Obedience within itself is not the solution. That can lead to legalism. But we are to trust God and obey Him. Obedience motivated by faith. And we're going to see tonight the consequences of not doing that. Leviticus 10, 1 through 13, 39. Leviticus 10. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, put coals of fire in their incense burners and sprinkled incense over it. In this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him a different kind of fire than he had commanded. 
So fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up, and they died there before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord meant when he said, I will show myself holy among those who are near me. I will be glorified before all the people. And Aaron was silent. Then Moses called for Mishael and Elsaphan, Aaron's cousins, the sons of Aaron's uncle Uziel. He said to them, Come and carry the bodies of your relatives away from the sanctuary to a place outside the camp. So they came forward and carried them out of the camp by their tunics, as Moses had commanded. Then Moses said to Aaron and his sons Eleazar and Ithamar, Do not mourn by letting your hair hang loose or by tearing your clothes. If you do, you will die, and the Lord will be angry with the whole community of Israel. However, the rest of the Israelites, your relatives, may mourn for Nadab and Abihu, whom the Lord has destroyed by fire. But you are not to leave the entrance of the tabernacle under penalty of death, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. So they did as Moses commanded. Then the Lord said to Aaron, You and your descendants must never drink wine or any other alcoholic drink before going into the tabernacle. If you do, you will die. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be kept by all future generations. You are to distinguish between what is holy and what is ordinary, what is ceremonially unclean and what is clean. And you must teach the Israelites all the laws that the Lord has given through Moses. Then Moses said to Aaron and his remaining sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, Take what is left of the grain offering after the handful has been presented to the Lord by fire. Make sure there is no yeast in it, and eat it beside the altar, for it is most holy. It must be eaten in a sacred place, for it has been given to you and your descendants as your regular share of the offerings given to the Lord by fire. These are the commands I have been given. But the breast and thigh that were lifted up may be eaten in any place that is ceremonially clean. These parts have been given to you and to your sons and daughters as your regular share of the peace offerings presented by the people of Israel. The thigh and breast that are lifted up must be lifted up to the Lord along with the fat of the offerings given by fire. Then they will belong to you and your descendants forever, just as the Lord has commanded. When Moses demanded to know what had happened to the goat of the sin offering, he discovered that it had been burned up. As a result, he became very angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, Aaron's remaining sons. Why didn't you eat the sin offering in the sanctuary area, he demanded. It is a holy offering. It was given to you for removing the guilt of the community and for making atonement for the people before the Lord. Since the animal's blood was not taken into the holy place, you should have eaten the meat in the sanctuary area as I ordered you. Then Aaron answered Moses on behalf of his sons. Today my sons presented both their sin offering and their burnt offering to the Lord, he said. This kind of thing has also happened to me. Would the Lord have approved if I had eaten the sin offering today? And when Moses heard this, he approved. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Leviticus 11. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Give the following instructions to the Israelites. The animals you may use for food include those that have completely divided hooves and chew the cud. You may not, however, eat the animals named here because they either have split hooves or chew the cud, but not both. The camel may not be eaten, for though it chews the cud, it does not have split hooves. The same is true of the rock badger and the hare, so they also may never be eaten. And the pig may not be eaten, for though it has split hooves, it does not chew the cud. You may not eat the meat of these animals or touch their dead bodies. They are ceremonially unclean for you. As for marine animals, you may eat whatever has both fins and scales, whether taken from fresh water or salt water. You may not, however, eat marine animals that do not have both fins and scales. You are to detest them, and they will always be forbidden to you. You must never eat their meat or even touch their dead bodies. I repeat, 
any marine animal that does not have both fins and scales is strictly forbidden to you. These are the birds you must never eat because they are detestable for you. The eagle, the vulture, the osprey, the buzzard, kites of all kinds, ravens of all kinds, the ostrich, the nighthawk, the seagull, hawks of all kinds, the little owl, the cormorant, the great owl, the white owl, the pelican, the carrion vulture, the stork, herons of all kinds, the hoopoe, and the bat. You are to consider detestable all swarming insects that walk along the ground. However, there are some exceptions that you may eat. These include insects that jump with their hind legs, locusts of all varieties, crickets, bald locusts, and grasshoppers. All these may be eaten, but you are to consider detestable all other swarming insects that walk or crawl. The following creatures make you ceremonially unclean. If you touch any of their dead bodies, you will be defiled until evening. If you move the dead body of an unclean animal, you must immediately wash your clothes, and you will remain defiled until evening. Any animal that has divided but unsplit hooves or that does not chew the cud is unclean for you. If you touch the dead body of such an animal, you will be defiled until evening. Of the animals that walk on all fours, those that have paws are unclean for you. If you touch the dead body of such an animal, you will be defiled until evening. If you pick up and move its carcass, you must immediately wash your clothes, and you will remain defiled until evening. Of the small animals that scurry or creep on the ground, these are unclean for you. The mole, the mouse, the great lizard of all varieties, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the common lizard, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. All these small animals are unclean for you. If you touch the dead body of such an animal, you will be defiled until evening. If such an animal dies and falls on something, that object, whatever its use, will be unclean. This is true whether the object is made of wood, cloth, leather, or sackcloth. It must be put into water and it will remain defiled until evening. After that, it will be ceremonially clean and may be used again. If such an animal dies and falls into a clay pot, everything in the pot will be defiled and the pot must be smashed. If the water used to cleanse an unclean object touches any food, all of that food will be defiled and any beverage that is in such an unclean container will be defiled. Any object on which the dead body of such an animal falls will be defiled. If it is a clay oven or cooking pot, it must be smashed to pieces. It has become defiled, and it will remain that way. However, if the dead body of such an animal falls into a spring or a cistern, the water will still be clean, but anyone who removes the dead body will be defiled. If the dead body falls on seed grain to be planted in the field, the seed will still be considered clean. But if the seed is wet when the dead body falls on it, the seed will be defiled. If an animal that is permitted for eating dies and you touch its carcass, you will be defiled until evening. If you eat any of its meat or carry away its carcass, you must wash your clothes. Then you will remain defiled until evening. Consider detestable any animal that scurries along the ground. Such animals may never be eaten. This includes all animals that slither along on their bellies, as well as those with four legs and those with many feet. All such animals are to be considered detestable. Never defile yourselves by touching such animals. After all, I, the Lord, am your God. You must be holy because I am holy. So do not defile yourselves by touching any of these animals that scurry along the ground. I, the Lord, am the one who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. You must therefore be holy because I am holy. These are the instructions regarding the land animals, the birds, and all the living things that move through the water or swarm over the earth. So you can distinguish between what is unclean and may not be eaten and what is clean and may be eaten. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Leviticus 12. The Lord said to Moses, Give these instructions to the Israelites. When a woman becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son, she will be ceremonially unclean for seven days, 
just as she is defiled during her menstrual period. On the eighth day, the boy must be circumcised. Then the woman must wait for 33 days until the time of her purification from the blood of childbirth is completed. During this time of purification, she must not touch anything that is holy, and she must not go to the sanctuary until her time of purification is over. If a woman gives birth to a daughter, she will be ceremonially defiled for two weeks, just as she is defiled during her menstrual period. She must then wait another 66 days to be purified from the blood of childbirth. When the time of purification is completed for either a son or a daughter, the woman must bring a year-old lamb for a whole burnt offering and a young pigeon or turtle dove for a purification offering. She must take her offerings to the priest at the entrance of the tabernacle. The priest will then present them to the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she will be ceremonially clean again after her bleeding at childbirth. These are the instructions to be followed after the birth of a son or a daughter. If a woman cannot afford to bring a sheep, she must bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. One will be for the whole burnt offering and the other for the purification offering. The priest will sacrifice them, thus making atonement for her, and she will be ceremonially clean. Leviticus 13 The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, If some of the people notice a swelling or a rash or a shiny patch on their skin that develops into a contagious skin disease, they must be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons. The priest will then examine the affected area of a person's skin. If the hair in the affected area has turned white and appears to be more than skin deep, then it is a contagious skin disease, and the priest must pronounce the person ceremonially unclean. But if the affected area of the skin is white, but does not appear to be more than skin deep, and if the hair in the spot has not turned white, the priest will put the infected person in quarantine for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest will make another examination. If the affected area has not changed or spread on the skin, then the priest will put the person in quarantine for seven more days. The priest will examine the skin again on the seventh day. If the affected area has faded and not spread, the priest will pronounce the person ceremonially clean. It was only a temporary rash. So after washing the clothes, the person will be considered free of disease. But if the rash continues to spread after this examination and pronouncement by the priest, the infected person must return to be examined again. If the priest notices that the rash has spread, then he must pronounce this person ceremonially unclean, for it is a contagious skin disease. Anyone who develops a contagious skin disease must go to the priest for an examination. If the priest sees that some hair has turned white and an open sore appears in the affected area, it is clearly a contagious skin disease, and the priest must pronounce that person ceremonially unclean. In such cases, the person need not be quarantined for further observation because it is clear that the skin is defiled by the disease. Now suppose the priest discovers after his examination that a rash has broken out all over someone's skin, covering the body from head to foot. In such cases, the priest must examine the infected person to see if the disease covers the entire body. If it does, he will pronounce the person ceremonially clean because the skin has turned completely white. But if any open sores appear, the infected person will be pronounced ceremonially unclean. The priest must make this pronouncement as soon as he sees an open sore because open sores indicate the presence of a contagious skin disease. However, if the open sores heal and turn white like the rest of the skin, the person must return to the priest. If, after another examination, the affected areas have indeed turned completely white, then the priest will pronounce the person ceremonially clean. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. If anyone has had a boil on the skin that has started to heal, but a white swelling or a reddish-white spot remains in its place, that person must go to the priest to be examined. If the priest finds the disease to be more than skin deep, and if the hair in the affected area has turned white, 
then the priest must pronounce that person ceremonially unclean. It is a contagious skin disease that has broken out in the boil. But if the priest sees that there is no white hair in the affected area, and if it doesn't appear to be more than skin deep and has faded, then the priest is to put the person in quarantine for seven days. If during that time the affected area spreads on the skin, the priest must pronounce the person ceremonially unclean because it is a contagious skin disease. But if the area grows no larger and does not spread, it is merely the scar from the boil, and the priest will pronounce that person ceremonially clean. If anyone has suffered a burn on the skin and the burned area changes color, becoming either a shiny reddish-white or white, then the priest must examine it. If the hair in the affected area turns white and the problem appears to be more than skin deep, a contagious skin disease has broken out in the burn. The priest must then pronounce that person ceremonially unclean, for it is clearly a contagious skin disease. But if the priest discovers that there is no white hair in the affected area and the problem appears to be no more than skin deep and has faded, then the priest is to put the infected person in quarantine for seven days. If at the end of that time the affected area has spread on the skin, the priest must pronounce that person ceremonially unclean, for it is clearly a contagious skin disease. But if the affected area has not moved or spread on the skin and has faded, it is simply a scar from the burn. The priest must then pronounce the person ceremonially clean. If anyone, whether a man or woman, has an open sore on the head or chin, the priest must examine the infection. If it appears to be more than skin deep and fine yellow hair is found in the affected area, the priest must pronounce the infected person ceremonially unclean. The infection is a contagious skin disease of the head or chin. However, if the priest's examination reveals that the infection is only skin deep and there is no black hair in the affected area, then he must put the person in quarantine for seven days. If at the end of that time the affected area has not spread and no yellow hair has appeared, and if the infection does not appear to be more than skin deep, the infected person must shave off all hair except the hair on the affected area. Then the priest must put the person in quarantine for another seven days, and he will examine the infection again on the seventh day. If it has not spread and appears to be no more than skin deep, the priest must pronounce that person ceremonially clean. After washing clothes, that person will be clean. But if the infection begins to spread after the person is pronounced clean, the priest must do another examination. If the infection has spread, he must pronounce the infected person ceremonially unclean, even without checking for yellow hair. But if it appears that the infection has stopped spreading and black hair has grown in the affected area, then the infection has healed. The priest will then pronounce the infected person ceremonially clean. If anyone, whether a man or a woman, has shiny white patches on the skin, the priest must examine the affected area. If the patch is only a pale white, this is a harmless skin rash, and the person is ceremonially clean. End of reading, Leviticus 10.1 through 13.39. Finding myself at a loss for words And the funny thing is, it's okay This is the Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. I think it's important that we think about these laws now and understand the context and the reasons they're given. Remember, the people of Israel are camped at the base of Mount Sinai. Moses now is speaking to these people, giving them these moral laws. You should not worship any other god, the Sabbath day commandments, thou shalt not commit murder, stealing, and so on. 
Then the book goes into an expansion on those moral laws, giving examples of the application of those laws to many everyday social situations. Then we have also laws that have to do with ritual and worship. All of these have to do with being set apart. We often think of the dietary and many of the safety laws as being health-motivated. But there's not a single passage in Leviticus or even back in the other passages under the Noahic law as well. There's not a single passage that refers to the motivation for which these laws are given. It doesn't say that they are given because of health concerns. We understand that the bottom line reason for all of these commands to the people is to set them apart. They are to be a distinct people, distinct from the people around them. Besides that, it's fairly clear that these dietary laws in particular were not health-motivated. We can look at what Paul says to the believers in Corinth, for example. Some of his declarations there give us to understand that there's not a health reason for avoiding these unclean foods. And I might mention that clean or unclean in these contexts does not mean that they are sinful and wrong. If a person is unclean because of some of the reasons that we've mentioned, a woman, for example, in the time of her menstrual cycle or pregnant or after certain activities with men, it does not mean they are sinful. This is a ritualistic unclean. They are unclean to be in the congregation of worshipers. We're not given a clear reason. Now, we are shown here in Leviticus 11, look at verse 24, if any of you touch their carcass, you will be defiled until evening. Now, if this had a health consequence, if this was a health problem, then there couldn't be this guarantee that you'll be clean in the evening, that you'll be cured. Being unclean and clean has to do with a ritual cleansing in terms of worship. These were instructions that were given that would set them apart as God's people. We need to obey, the people of Israel needed to obey God's laws here, just because God said so, to set them apart, to teach obedience by trusting Him. The obedience in itself is not the end, is not the objective. The motive of our obedience is faith. And then based upon our faith, God responds to our faith and does what we are unable to do on our own. This has been a matter of considerable concern, sometimes confusion for folks, about these laws of cleanliness and uncleanliness. Again, it does not refer to being sinful or dirty to be unclean. For example, um, God created us male and female, and he ordered us to be fruitful and multiply. And he didn't all of a sudden change his mind and say now that sex and procreation are now somehow unclean. Instead, he made a distinction between his worship and the popular worship of the fertility gods and the goddesses of the Canaanite religions around them. And so sexuality and worship are constantly separated in the instructions that God gave to the people of Israel. These rules were to do with making them distinct and different. They may have had health connotations, but that is not laid out clearly. Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Kendall House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your prayers and financial support are needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now, don't forget, join us each weekday for the Bible Live with Soapy Dollars. 
Start today, and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word.